Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Vitamscha Vanchakalpa Jubhischa Kripa Sindhviyavata Patitanam Pavanevyo Vaishnavevyo Namo Namaha Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So it's January 19, 2022 and we're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 4, Chapter 29, Text 65 This is the chapter talks between Narada and King Prachinibari and this is class over the internet from Hawaii. This is one of the few times that you see um, the Sanskrit red letter the uh, Very, it's very rarely used. Tenasya tadrasham rajao. Lingino deha sambhavam. Shradhatsvan Anubhuto 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 Namanas Prastumarhati Tena Therefore Asya of the living entity Tadrisham like that Rajan O King Linginaha who has a subtle mental covering Dehasambhavan Produced in the previous body. Produced in the previous body. Shradhatsva. Shradhatsva. Accepted as fact. Accepted as fact. An Anubhutaha. Not perceived. Not perceived. Artaha. A thing. A thing. No. No. Never. Never. Manaha. Manaha. In the mind. In the mind. Sprashtum. To manifest. To manifest. Arhati. Arhati. Is able. Is able. Srila Prabhupada's translation. Therefore, my dear king, the living entity who has a subtle mental covering develops all kinds of thoughts and images because of his previous body. Take this from me as certain. There is no possibility of concocting anything mentally without having perceived it in the previous body. That's quite a statement. I mean, I remember when I first read that, you know, when the, when the, first, when the books first came out. It was, it was really something. Shila Prabhupada's purport. Krishna Bhairmukha Hanaboga Vanchakare Nikata Sta Maya Tare Japatiya Dare from Prema Vivarta. Actually, the Supreme Personality of Godhead Krishna is the Supreme Enjoyer. When a living entity wants to imitate him, he is given a chance to satisfy his false desire to lord it over material nature. That is the beginning of his downfall. As long as he is within this material atmosphere, he has a subtle vehicle in the form of the mind, which is the stockpile of all kinds of material desires. Such desires become manifest in different bodily forms. Srila Narada Muni requests the king to accept this fact from him because Narada is an authority. The conclusion is that the mind is the storehouse of our past desires, and we have this present body due to our past desires. Similarly, Whatever we desire in this, in this present body will be expressed in a future body. Thus the mind 
is the source of different kinds of bodies. If the mind is purified by Krishna consciousness, one will naturally in the future get a body that is spiritual and full of Krishna consciousness. Such a body is our original form. As Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu confirms, Jivara Swarupaya Krishnaya Nichidasa, Madhuli 2108. Every living entity is constitutionally an eternal servant of Krishna. If a person is engaged in the devotional service of the Lord, he is to be considered a liberated soul even in this life. This is confirmed by Srila Rupa Goswami, Iha Yasya Harer Dasye, Karmana Manasa Gira, Nikhilas Vapi Avastas Tu, Jivan Mukta Sauchate. One who engages in the transcendental service of the Lord, in body, mind, and words, is to be considered, considered liberated in all conditions of material existence. Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu 12187. The Krishna consciousness movement is based on this principle. We must teach people to absorb themselves always in the service of the Lord because that position is their natural position. One who is always serving the Lord is considered already liberated. Prabhupada saying this twice. This is also confirmed in Bhagavad Gita 14.26, Mamtayo Vyavicharina, Bhakti Yogyan is Sevate, Sagunan Samatityaitam, Brahma Bhuyaya Kalpate. One who always engages in the spiritual activities of unalloyed devotional service at once transcends the modes of material nature and is elevated to the spiritual platform. The devotee is therefore above the three modes of material nature and is even transcendental to the Brahmana platform. Brahmana may be infected by the two baser modes, namely Rajagun and Tamagun. A pure devotee who is free from all material desires experienced on the mental platform and who is also free from empiric philosophical speculation or fruit of activities is always above material conditioning and is always liberated. Raja lingino dehasambhavam Shradhasvan anubhutorto namana asprastum arhati. Therefore, my dear king, the living entity who has a subtle mental covering, develops all kinds of thoughts and images because of his previous body. Take this from me as certain. There is no possibility of concocting anything mentally without having perceived it in the previous body. So that, uh, Prabhupada talks about how we may have seen gold, we may have seen a mountain, we put it together to make a golden mountain. Of course, there are golden mountains in the universe. Uh, sometimes, of course, uh, it's mentioned by Srila Prabhupada, by the scriptures, that some things don't exist. You know, a flower growing in the sky or a horse's egg. But we may see something in the mind that's a combination of these things. So it's not that if I dream about a horse's egg that I have, um, I have seen a horse's egg. It means I have seen a horse and I have seen an egg and I have put them uh, together. So, you know, the, at first you read this and you're like, um, you know, well, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, does that mean that anything uh, that I imagine... Uh, that I have seen before, so not necessarily in that form. All right, so the essence of this statement by Nardamuni is Nitya Nityanam Chaitanya Chaitananam Eko Bahunam Yo Vidadati Kaman. Whatever Kama we have, whatever Icha, whatever desire we have, the Lord fulfills it. The Lord is like a very indulgent parent. <laughs> Whatever you want, you can have. Of course, if you want something spiritual, uh, it's instant, it's easy, it's no endeavor. If you want something material, you have to work for it. Uh, here the emphasis is on desire, uh, but the karma is also there. It's not only desire. Uh, Prabhupada often says, if you desire to live in this particular house or particular city, but you don't have the right karma, you may live there as a cockroach or as a dog. So it's not just it's not just desire; <laughs> it's also activity, and we know that 
uh, in our daily life, determination in the mode of goodness is unshakable through difficulty and, and happiness. <laughs> determination in the mode of passion is dependent on whether or not one thinks one can get the results and determination in the mode of ignorance is my mother used to sing this song, manana, manana, manana is good enough for me. So that's uh, determination in Tamagun. I'll do it tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow. Today I'll eat chocolate cake, and tomorrow I will diet. <laughs> uh, today I'll, I'll watch TV all day, and tomorrow I'll go to the gym, and every day it's tomorrow. So uh, that doesn't accomplish anything. Right? The person who's eating uh, cake all day and not dieting, uh, they get to be obese. It's not just desire. Well, I desire to lose weight, but I'm going to eat cake all day. Or I desire to be physically fit, but I never do exercise. I desire to speak a foreign language, but I don't take the classes. So it, it's also activity. No, it, it's both. It's both. Although here Prabhupada is focusing on desire, one way we can tell what a person actually desires is what they do. If somebody says, yes, I, I desire to do this and that, uh, but they're not willing to do any work for it, then we, we can say uh, their desire is very weak or their desire is in, is in Tomagun. It's, it's not really worth much. All right, so just keeping that in consideration as we look at this verse in purport, because this verse in purport is all about desire, but again, desire isn't just, oh, I'd love to do that. <laughs> I, I brought this up this example before. There used to be a printed magazine, uh, pre-internet days, of for de that devotees were doing for devotees. I forget the name of it. And in every issue, they have what you call personal advertisements. So uh, people looking for a match, man speak, seeking woman, woman seeking man. And so I remember one of them, a man was looking for a wife. And you, you describe what you're looking for, and then you also describe yourself. So he said, this is what he said. He said, I like to sleep and dream about doing devotional service. So... I thought that wouldn't be very attractive in a husband. <laughs> you know, <laughs> dear, the, the, the faucet in the kitchen is leaking. Oh, let me sleep and dream about it. Actually, we have um, one of our children's books called Sita Will Fix the Mess. So they get a box in the mail of things for the deities. And Sita goes to pick it up. And her father says, it's too heavy, it's too heavy. And the little girl picks it up anyway and drops it and breaks the things. And her father says, I will fix it. He says, Dad said, I will fix it, Dad said. But Dad did not fix it. <laughs> Dad, <laughs> Dad went and took a nap. <laughs> and in the story, little Sita fixes her own mess. And so she's the, the heroine of the, of the story. Uh, but anyway, uh, not simply to dream of devotional service. So, again, keeping that in, in mind, that desires and activities are linked. So the Lord is, is very kind. And he is giving everybody what they desire. Eko bahunam He's fulfilling the desires of everyone since time immemorial. You want it, you get it. Again, with the caveat that you have to work for it, materially speaking. You don't just sit and desire. <laughs> uh, but whatever we want, we can get. For those who... Uh, and why is there this difference? Uh, that we'll look at in a minute. But it may appear... It may appear that we're not getting what we desire. I mean, I, I don't know about all of you, but I've had a lot of things happen in my life that I don't think I wanted them. I mean, I've had injuries and sickness, I've had poverty, I've had, you know, people treat me cruelly, 
and I, I didn't think I wanted them. If, if I were to sit down and write, you know, whatever, as a little kid, if I were to sit down and write, what do I want for my life? It would not have included those things. No, it just wouldn't have. I wouldn't have said, yeah, I, I want to fall on the ice and, and break my arm and, and <laughs> I want to get strep throat and I want the kids to tease me in school. And that, that, wouldn't have happened. that wouldn't have been on my list. So how do we say the Lord is giving us our, what we desire? But it's a fact. Now, the way that in, in some religions it's described, religions that don't accept the idea of past lives and don't accept the idea of karma or the idea of a soul in the way that we understand a soul, they'll say that God has engineered our life for good and we just can't understand it. But we have to have faith that he's, underst- and that he's arranged our life for good and all the terrible things that, have, that happened to us are ways of bringing us closer to him. Well, okay, um, we accept that. Also, we, Gaudi Vaishnavas also accept that concept. However, I personally have a little bit of a hard time accepting that outside of the scope of karma and reincarnation and, and our personal desire because, you know, I'm a professional teacher and I very rarely... I don't know ever, you know, I, I don't arrange lessons to make my students miserable. It's just not something that I do. You know, a good teacher has ways of teaching lessons without causing some kind of extreme pain. I mean, there may have to be some discomfort sometimes. We just had a lesson in our hermeneutics class where each of the participants really meditated on what quality they wanted to manifest in order to better understand scripture and one of the participants said this was a little uncomfortable (laughs) to really think about what quality I wanted to develop but it's not like to teach lessons we're going to burn down people's houses and you know give them cancer or something cut off their leg so you know we we professional teachers are perfectly capable (laughs) of teaching lessons without resorting to such things so if God's purpose, if God's benevolent and all-powerful and his purpose is to educate living beings, I mean, one would also have to ask the question that if we only had this life, why not simply create us perfect? Why create us with so many faults? And, you know, and a lot of people are, are, are born disabled, physically disabled, mentally disabled, both. Why would that be be necessary? It doesn't... It it really stretches the credulity of God being all benevolent. As Prophet says in the purport to 1515 Bhagavad Gita, God is all good, God is all merciful, but if there's only one life, if there's no past lives, there's no past desires, there's no karma, it really stretches my credulity. You know, it's like, can I really believe that God is all good and all merciful um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I've had a pretty good life, but I've still had a lot of awful, <laughs> horrific things happen. What to speak of people who've really had horrific lives. I mean, I had a, a loving family and, and material opulence and so many things. But, but people who were born into war zones. And I was just thinking, yesterday I bought some flowers for my deities and I was thinking how fortunate I am that in the winter, in a temperate climate, when there's no flowers growing outside, now that it's snowed, there's no flowers at all, that I can purchase flowers. And I was remembering a story that I'd heard about uh, World War II, where some Jews were brought from, they were rescued from the camps, and they were brought to Israel, where they were in another kind of camp, an internment camp. And how this one little girl, maybe 10 years old, had never seen a flower. So this concept that God is all good, God is all merciful, uh, if it's not our own desires and our own karma, is beyond inconceivable, really. It, it, It just doesn't make any sort of sense. But even if you want to go to the concept that it's our desires, that God is fulfilling our desires, then... Most of us will look at ourselves and say, well, wait a minute. 
that wasn't my desire. <laughs> I, I didn't desire to get cheated out of $45,000. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't desire for my house to burn down. I didn't desire, you know, I, I didn't desire these things. But the reality materially, so we'll look at materially, and then we'll look at spiritually, and then we'll look at what we should do. So materially speaking, the problem is we don't know what to desire. We are stupid, foolish, idiots. <laughs> or as Prabhupada would so elegantly say, we have a poor fund of knowledge. <laughs> you go to your bank and they say... <laughs> There's not much money in your bank. So you go to your your knowledge account, and the banker says, uh, "Sorry, <laughs> you you don't have very much here." Mm-hmm. And why do we have a poor fund of knowledge? Prabhupada quotes right smack down the beginning of the purport: Krishna Bahirmuka Hanaboga Vanshakati. We turn our face from Krishna, wanting to enjoy separately from him, and as soon as we do that. However we do that, why ever we do that, we don't know what we're doing anymore. I mean, on a, just on a gross material level, this is not difficult to see, that people don't understand what to desire, they don't understand the results of their desires. We see it all the time. We see it with people who get addicted to some sort of intoxicant or get addicted to gambling. We see it with people who get into relationships sometimes one after another, after another, after another, with people who are similarly uh, unsuitable. We all know people like that. They've been in four or five, six relationships, and every one of them is is harmful for them. Every one of them. I remember the, the midwife I had for our third child, she was married to a drug addict, and she said her first husband had been an alcoholic. And this is not unusual. So, you know, we don't know what to desire. And we find that, you know, in, in anything. I'm sure we've all experienced this, that we're thinking, you know, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. This might be a person to have a relationship with. It might be a job. It might be an object. It might be... Uh, a degree, it might be a place to go, and then we get that, whatever that is, and we're like, wow, this is just awful. I mean, on a a small level, that, you know, you order something in the the mail, and it comes, and you're like, yuck, (laughs) why did I want this? And it works the other way, too, that there are things we say, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want. And sometimes we get it anyway. And we get it and we're like, wow, this is wonderful. (laughs) Why did I not want this? It was exactly what I needed. It's exactly perfect. So we we don't understand. We can see on a micro level. We don't understand what we should desire. As soon as we're Bahramukhi, as soon as we have turned away from Krishna, we we become bewildered as to what's good for us and what's not good for us. It just doesn't make any sense anymore to us. I like the the statement Prabhupada makes in terms of the Virat Rupa that we're all cells in the universal body. So a cell in our body, you know, like I have in my hands, I have muscle cells and I have blood cells and I have nerve cells. And so they have their own little life. (laughs) They eat and they excrete and they reproduce and they defend their own little life. Each muscle cell wants to live. Uh, But it also works, probably without knowing it, for the benefit of the body. It has its programming. And as long as the cell works for the benefit, if, if every cell in my body works for the benefit of my body, my body is going to be healthy, and all the cells are going to also be nourished, right? My little cells take care of the whole body, and then I take care of all the little cells. But if a cell becomes independent, if a cell becomes cancerous, 
and just starts thinking of itself without thinking of the rest of the body, it, uh, it poisons the body or it blocks the body, that, the very body that is nourishing it, and so it produces its own destruction. It doesn't know what is good for it. Uh, like, you know, a hand severed from the body, uh, it, it, it no longer can live, it no longer can function. So material desires are all like that. Whether they're grandiose material desires, like Druva had, I want a kingdom greater than my grandfather, whether they're miniature material desires, like I want a piece of candy, you know, whatever the scope and the level of desire, they're all actually harmful for us. And therefore, the fulfillment of those desires is a painful process. I mean, that's... We could also say, of course, that there's laws and that when we engage in the activities to get those desires, we are often breaking universal laws because the essence of universal law is love of God. And when I break universal laws in order to fulfill my desires, then I have to get some suffering as a reaction. However, I I personally don't see the universe as some sort of big punitive system. I see it that we're, we're just idiots. And you could say, well, why does God allow us to be idiots? Well, he tries. <laughs> you know, I'm sure that we have all experienced trying to give good advice to somebody who absolutely refuses to take it. They just refuse. You know, they, just, they just won't do it. I mean, it just happened to me a couple days ago where somebody asked me, what am I doing wrong? And I told her, and she just immediately uh, became angry. I said, it's actually not that big of a deal if you're just willing to to accept it. So Krishna also, he gives the scriptures, he gives gurus, there's so many gurus, there's so many scriptures... I was thinking about that. I think this is something I think about a lot. You know, and I was looking at the verse for today and thinking how, you know, I have, having spent all of my adult life in the Gaudiya Vaishnava tradition, I have some familiarity with these words, these Sanskrit words. I have some familiarity with these personalities, Narada Muni and so forth. And had I been in a different religious tradition, I would have familiarity with the saints and teachers of that tradition and the language of their scriptures. So Krishna gives so many scriptures, uh, so many saintly persons. He incarnates himself, like the waves of the ocean, so many incarnations, in order to give people knowledge. So they don't have to have a poor fund of knowledge. He's, he's giving out knowledge, you know, like some, some rich person who's throwing money off of a balcony. Um, so he's trying to help us. So Krishna is benevolent in that he's trying to help us understand what are good desires to have and what are good ways to fulfill desires. He's also benevolent in that he arranges to fulfill all of our desires. So this body we have now, the family we have, the circumstances of our life are the result 100% of our previous desires. Although seeing that and admitting that is, is difficult. I personally have found it difficult to say, wow, this is what I wanted. <laughs> you know, people look in the mirror and go, this is not what I wanted, and they buy makeup and they dye their hair, and if, you know, if it's more extreme, they go to the plastic surgeon. This is not what I want. So it's hard to look in the mirror and say, wow, this is what I wanted. <laughs> this is what I ordered. <laughs> And our families, I mean, I had a very nice family, but still we might want to make this adjustment or that adjustment, or some people have really awful families. And like, this is what I ordered? You know? Wow, I really, I really ordered the wrong thing. Can I return it? (laughs) 
it's interesting, you know, some, some stores you buy things and you can't return them. Sorry, it's a sale item. No returns. And other places you can return them. I just returned something in the mail and the company charged me. They charged me shipping to return it. And other places it's very easy. So with Krishna, if you say, you know, well, I really didn't like this that I got. It's sorry. <laughs> you know, this is what you ordered. Uh, but you can have another chance next time. You can try to place a better order for your next life. And this keeps going on. Life after life is very depressing, actually. That we don't know what to desire. The time of death comes and we desire some other foolish thing. And we've spent our whole lives desiring other foolish things. And so we just go on life after life after life after life. And Krishna's like, I'm keep giving you what you want. And you're like, I don't like this. And he's like, this is what you wanted. And I'm like, but I don't like this. He's like, but that's what you said you wanted. You know, I would imagine like a restaurant when you order something and then you're like, <laughs> but that's what you ordered. Right? So spiritually, it's quite different. So that's the, the awful material thing, uh, which Prabhupada talks about in the first paragraph. Then the rest of the purport, Srila Prabhupada talks about spiritual desires. So spiritual desires, Srila Prabhupada says, that uh, we will naturally get a body that is spiritual and full of Krishna consciousness. Such a body is our original form. As Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu confirms, Jivaraswar Payakrishnir Nichidas. Every living entity is constitutionally an eternal servant of Krishna. So I know this is a matter of contention, but at least Srila Prabhupada is abundantly clear that we have an inherent, we, we have Krishna Prema is inherent to the soul, and not only Krishna Prema in general, but some particular flavor of Krishna Prema. And universally, people talk about awakening and remembering. Prabhupada uses words like reviving, rejuvenating, which is an interesting word, to make young again. So spiritual desires are quite different. Spiritual desires are about who I really am. Material desires are about what I am not. And, drum roll, the reason that we're not satisfied with all of our material desires is not that I just have to have a better system of material desire. That's what we think. I just have to figure out how to desire the right spouse and the right job and the right body and the right shoes and the right car. That's not the problem. The problem with material desires in general, where it's for a piece of candy or to be the Lord of the universe or anything in between, is they're all desires for things that I am not. Such a simple, simple Simple philosophy. Desire something you're not, you will suffer. Desire something you are, you'll be happy. Be who you are. I mean, people talk about this materially. Just be who you are. Right? But the problem is materially, they don't know who they are. And the material consciousness. Who I am is, is not, it's not accurate. It's, it's like a big costume party. Everybody has a different costume on will be who you are, you know, well, I'm a tiger, well, I'm a clown. But spiritually is desiring to be who I am. And therefore, spiritually, it can be said to be desireless. Because if I desire to be what and who I am, in one sense, that's not really a desire, is it? If I desire something that is not me, we, we can call that a desire, but just to desire to be what I am and who I am. We could call that satisfaction. We could call that freedom from desire. Now, the only reason we can call it a desire is that in contrast to desiring something false, it's a desire. So instead of wanting something that is false, I want to be satisfied it appears we could put it, we can use that kind of terminology, comma, and icha. 
But in another sense, it's not. Therefore, we say the devotees are desireless. We say Krishna is desireless. They are atmarama. They are atmarati. As Krishna says, they relish and rejoice in the self. And therefore, they don't care about anything in this world. Yogakshema atmavan. They're established in the self. And therefore, they don't care about keeping or getting anything. And that doesn't mean that they don't you know, put on a coat in the winter or drink water when they're thirsty. But it, it means that they're not, they're, they're not invested in that at all. They're in their, in, their, in their own glory, in their own self. That's the essence of spiritual life, to desire to be myself. And if Krishna fulfills my material desires, even though they're all false and they're all troublesome and they all cause me difficulty and they all cause me pain and he fulfills all of those why wouldn't he fulfill our desire to be ourself which brings us unlimited eternal happiness and satisfaction and a sense of eternality and of course love for him because that is our self our self is filled filled with a particular flavor of love for him our particular original form, as Prabhupada puts it here, is a manifestation of that flavor of love, just like our my present material body is a gross manifestation of my mental desires. So my original spiritual form is a manifestation of my spiritual desires. So why wouldn't Krishna fulfill that? Of course he would. Now, of course, as we said in the very beginning, desires imply action. So, just like you're not going to get to be a medical doctor by just sitting around watching movies all day, so in the same way, when we say Krishna fulfills your spiritual desires, if they're ostensibly spiritual desires, but they're not, if I'm thinking, yes, you know, I want to get a spiritual form so I can exploit Krishna, (laughs) so I can enjoy his kingdom on my own, you know, the that's another thing. Then they're actually material desires disguised as spiritual desires. And that's something else. I remember hearing Prabhupada speak in 75 in Philadelphia. He said, don't try to cheat Krishna. He'll be able to cheat you. And he gave the example both of Nasingadev and Hiranyakashipu and also Adamadar and Mother Yasoda. Hmm. And so if I say, Krishna, Krishna, I want pure devotional service, but I'm thinking, well, if I'm an advanced devotee, then people will respect me and they'll give me a lot of money, or I'll get to go to a really cool heaven and enjoy there forever, or I'll get to be liberated from all my sufferings. If one is thinking like that, which Prabhupada alludes to at the end of this purport, um, giving up desires on the mental platform, empiric philosophical speculation, or fruit of activity, some of Prabhupada's favorite phrases. So then it's not uttam bhakti. And then I'll get those desires fulfilled. <laughs> and of course I'll, be, I'll very, be very disappointed. So if we have intelligence, what should we do? We should cultivate desires to be ourselves. It's that simple. That is the whole process of sadhana bhakti. As Krishna nicely explains, and I said this over and over again, Bhagavad Gita 12.9, abhyas yoga or sadhana bhakti. Uh, abhyas is the more ancient term and more modern term is sadhana, to practice. I practice being myself. You know, somebody who's had some sort of injury or disease and they have amnesia, they can't remember who they are, they have to practice being themselves. And usually their other friends and family members help them, remind them. So the Bhagavatam, Chaitanya Charitamrita, Bhagavad Gita, the literatures of our Goswamis, they are to remind us. The Sangha of the devotees, to remind us. The name of the Lord, the form of the Lord, the prasadam of the Lord, that you remind us, this is you. This is you. And as we contact ourselves, then we want to cultivate that. We want to meditate on it. We want to aspire for it. I want to be me. 
I want to be the highest expression of me. I want to be the best possible version of me, the real me, the real spiritual me, the best version of which is to be a servant of the Lord in love. To serve the Lord out of love in, in my own particular way. And as we cultivate that, the uh, the various false desires fall away. We see them for what they are. Prophet says one sees the naked form of material desires. We see them for what they are and they fall away. And that is, in a nutshell, our process of sadhana bhakti. So I can take questions for the next 12 minutes. Oh, I'm in the wrong screen. Uh, if I, from a previous life or lifetimes, uh, you know, have remnants of a lot of addictive patterns, addicted to be it substances or food or sex or whatever, and I'm on the, the, the path of, of bhakti yoga and I'm trying hard and I'm executing and so forth and so on, if I pray... Krishna, please free me from these addictive patterns. Is that a material or, or a spiritual? Uh, it's so interesting that you brought that up. Um, is it a material desire or a spiritual desire? Well, it depends. Why do you want to become free? Well, if you're asking me, then I, then I sort of thought of this answer, and that is, if I want to be become freed from the pain of addiction... That's material, but if I want to be freed from addictive patterns so I can serve better, I think that would be more spiritual. Bingo. You got it. <laughs> Thanks. Generally, when people ask to be free of things, they're asking just to be free of the pain. But if I say, I want to be free so that I can have a relationship with Krishna, that's different. Kandita asked, what would be an example of someone who thought they had a spiritual desire when really it was a material desire? For that, I refer you to Manashiksha, text 6, and Bhaktivinoda Thakur's commentary, where he gives many, many examples. Mother Kandita had a question in okay. the chat, which is kind of related. Well, that's what I just said oh, and sorry. answered. Is Mahalakshmi Matashi? Yes. Yes, Mahalakshmi. Um, so when Prabhupada here says in the translation of the text says that there is uh, nothing that we can concoct that we didn't uh, perceive it in a previous life can that previous life be one year uh, well it doesn't say a previous life it says a previous body Body can be the previous body of one year ago of course okay <laughs> Not necessarily from one life before. Of course. Okay. Thank you. Sure. I have a kind of a pretty complex question, if you have time for it. Uh, I have nine minutes. Um, I listen to a lot of Bhakti Vigyan Swami's uh, lectures, so this is a point that he made. I'm a little confused about. Unfortunately, well, now, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. I always have a problem with this. So, if someone else gives a class and you're confused about their point, the best person to ask is them. However, I'm willing to hear your take on it because it relates to the verse and the purport. I'll do my best, but uh, I usually say if you have a problem with somebody else's class, you have to ask them. Okay, let's give it a try. Unless somebody else has a question. Go ahead. Uh, this verse, he uh, uh, refers to actually quite a bit. I've heard in several lectures. You know, the point is, is that from a previous lifetime, we have all kinds of stores of desires, and our karma is such that if we get a stimulus, uh, then because we've had that experience from a previous life, we have a desire for it. And one of the, the problems is with Krishna consciousness is that we. Uh, don't naturally have uh, an attraction to the Lord in our contaminated state because we haven't experienced this is what he says Okay, so that's why it's necessary to have to get bhakti from a devotee otherwise it won't naturally arise in the contaminated state 
So my question is, is this first, Jivaris were a Poikushan uh, Nitudas. So why is it that uh, since we're uh, eternally at a servant of the Lord, why can't it develop spontaneously um, at a certain point? Why does it have to come from another devotee? And I have another question related to that, but just let's address that first. Um, it can. But that's very unusual. That's called Kripa City, and there's a Kripa City directly from the Lord that doesn't involve another devotee. So that is possible. It's not impossible. It's not like it's a philosophical or theological impossibility. It just generally doesn't happen that way. Generally, what, what triggers our eternal deep-seated thing is contact with a devotee who has it and then that reminds us of it. Just like you're saying, you know, I can, I have some desire for this or that materially and then something triggers it. So another devotee triggers my internal spiritual desire. Now, it's, it's possible without another devotee. And Prabhupada talks about how if you study nature, even if you've never studied the scriptures, even if you're uneducated, you can understand something of the existence of God. That's possible. But we, we find that happening in very rare cases. It, it's, it's, not, it's not the common... It's not commonly how things go. So, why is that? Well, first of all, because... If I'm going along materially with my material desires, um, that's the trajectory I'm going on. That's where my mood is. <laughs> you know, my mood isn't on something else. It's just something has to push me or shake me or move me out of my, there's inertia, you know, out of my trajectory. Then there's another reason that we, we don't like to talk about. And that is because we've been looking, talking about this so far as if it's something mechanical, is that ultimately bhakti is not mechanical. And we are offenders. We are actually offenders. You know, cancer in the body is an offender to the body, it's a traitor. That cancerous cells are trying to destroy the very body that nourishes it. They're traitorous cells. And instead of nourishing those cells, we want to just destroy them. We want to get them out. So when we turn our face to Krishna and we act independently, we become an offender. And d does that make sense? That we're an offender? Yes. Okay. So, I so let's say someone has offended you. I'm sure in your life somebody has offended you. Somebody has betrayed you, insulted you, offended you, and maybe somebody that you really cared about and really gave a lot to. I'm going to assume that that's the case because I'm assuming that most people have experienced that. So if someone has offended me, especially a person that I've given a lot to, you know, if I've given a lot of time, energy, maybe money, maybe facility, whatever, I've really trusted somebody, they were practically like a part of me, and then they turned against me. How is that relationship going to be restored? Now, it can only ultimately be restored when the offended party allows it to be restored. The offender cannot force restoration. There's nothing that can be done on the part of the offender to force a restoration. The offender can show sincerity, the offender can demonstrate that they want to restore the relationship. But ultimately, it's the, the onus is on the offender, the offended rather, to open the door. So if someone has offended me, grievously and they want the relationship back, I have to be willing to give them the relationship back. It's all, the, the ball's in my court. Now if the offense is very bad and it's going on for a very long time, uh, I may not be so inclined. 
However, if some devotee intervenes, some some mediator intervenes, that may change things. So if someone who's very dear to me says, you know, look, this person has really reformed and you should accept them. So that's also the case. Another reason why generally it requires the intervention of a devotee is that God is neutral. And this is explained by Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur in the beginning of Madhurya Kadambani, that Krishna does not interfere. He doesn't remind the living entity of their original spirituality without their reaching out to him first. And again, we don't generally reach out to him first because we're so absorbed in what we're doing. You know, we're kind of like little kids who are absorbed in playing and, and we, don't, we don't think about eating. We don't think about going to bed. You know, we're so absorbed in our game. And Krishna wanting this neutrality, Krishna very much wants to have this neutrality, that he's not going to in any way whatsoever, even slightly, even in a minuscule way, force a relationship because he wants it to be voluntary love. But devotees are willing to go out and canvas for the Lord because they know that although the Lord is neutral, in another way the Lord actually desires a reestablishment of the relationship. And so the devotees are willing to go out and canvas. And so generally without a devotee's mercy, we, not, we don't even have any awareness. And the devotee sparks that desire in us. So the vast, vast majority of the time some intervention of a devotee is necessary. Now, even if you think about, say, reading Shastra, Shastra is full of devotees, you know. Uh, Shastra is full of the words of the devotees, the activities of the devotees. It's not necessarily that someone has to come up to you physically. You can have the, the interaction with a devotee that way. Or a devotee could just be praying for you. I mean, I know of several stories where people were really heavy-duty, evil, materialistic people and because some devotees, devotee or devotees were praying for them on a regular basis, eventually they had some mercy being given to them. But Okay, then just, let me ask this. Then when, for instance, when Srila Prabhupada writes his books, out of compassion, out of duty for his spiritual master, all these things, when we pick up one of Srila Prabhupada's books, if we don't have contact with him, but because... You do have the, contact with him as soon as you pick up his book. Would that be Shakti coming through the books that are published by Srila Well, there, first of all, you do have contact with him if you pick up his books. And second of all, even in Sadhana Siddha, there's always some Kripa. Kripa Siddhi means there's no Sadhana done on the part of the person at all. But there still has to be a response by the person. The person still has to respond. But all sadhana involves some kripa. Otherwise it would be mechanical. Even, the, even a mechanical system like dhyana yoga re- requires some influx of, of kripa in the form of bhakti in order for it to be effective. Because ultimately it's about a personal relationship, it's not about a mechanical system. Okay. I have a lot more, but it's no time left. No, no time left. I actually have a super busy day. Thank you very, very much, everybody, for this opportunity. Thank for the you. Kalpa Thank you. Thank you.